Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Sports to the Max. News Talk 830 WCCO. You're home to the Timberwolves who will play tomorrow night against the Utah Jazz. And uh, come hell or high water, they will play that game because they... NBA is obligated to, and they figured out a system where you can call up players, sign players, everything else. You you want five guys out there playing. And especially they need to do it on Christmas Day coming up, and then, then five games, etc. Joining us now, a guy that worked for the Minnesota Timberwolves at one time, worked in the Major League Baseball, uh, the NHL, college hockey, and now junior hockey is the commission of the USHL. Bill Robertson, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mike. Hope you and your family enjoy and all your listeners out there enjoy this very festive and happy holiday season. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying I don't have a big audience, but I'm sending each one of them a Christmas card tonight. So <clears throat> I should be done by nine o'clock. Boom, jing. Um, the, <laughs> um, you, you have changed positions now, although you're still in the hockey profession. Um, give us your, where you're at in your career right now. And, and how this is unique to the Bill Robertson resume. Well, I, I think it's unique in, in some ways, and that's a good question, is I've, I've contemplated on many days, you know, where am I at? Yeah, um, I've yep. worked in the professional level, I've worked in the collegiate level, and now I'm working in junior hockey. So it's di- different levels of sports. Uh, the main theme is that I'm in sports. So that piece always intrigues me um the newest job the united states hockey league as president and commissioner is somewhat similar to the wcha president and commissioner job but the difference is that the kids that are playing junior hockey all have aspirations to play division one hockey and get to the nhl and it's a developmental league that has owners that also, too, at the same time, want to make money. So those yep. are different value systems. Yep. And it's, it, it is different. And I, it's, it's a challenge to, to make both those work. But what I've seen so far in my six months at the USHL is the talent level is incredible. And when I watch these games, 16 to 20-year-olds, some are – in, uh, in high school, some have graduated high school. They're taking college classes online or taking high school classes online. The, the difference is, is that there isn't a lot of difference between this and Division One hockey because it's 
basically harder to make a USHL roster than it is a Division One roster in a lot of ways. Not everything, but I, I know that sounds maybe silly to some of your listeners, but the talent level and the size of these kids and the speed is incredible. And actually 90-something percent of our rosters our, our kids are already set to go on to play Division One hockey. So this is really a feeder system for Division One hockey. Yeah, they've been placed there to mature some more, right? Correct. Correct. And when I was in the WCHA, the average age of a freshman coming in to play at Minnesota State, Mankato, or, or uh, Ferris State, or Bemidji State was always like 20, 20 years old or above. And that's really what it is. They play high school hockey or play a few years in the USHL. And by the time they're 19 or 20, they're ready to play Division One hockey. But the USHL had 50 players drafted in the NHL this year. And the first wow. two picks in the draft were USHL products. So that tells you the talent level in the United States Hockey League. So so when when you have these teams, I've always been curious – uh, you mentioned ownership, and ownership wants to make some money. They've invested in this. It, is it driven more by talent, and i.e., where you are in the standings, or is it driven more by if we put on a good show and give them a fan, good fan experience in a good arena? They're not that concerned about who wins or not. They just want to see hockey and they want to feel good about the experience that they have. I.e., some to an extent, minor league baseball. Which one is more important in in, in the product and for the owners? Well, for the for the owners, it, it's both because last year they, they they couldn't play in front of fans for most of the year, and they stomached those losses because Ooh. there were no revenues, sponsorship, ticket sales, et cetera, concessions, and all that. So they they were saying it's more important for those kids to play and develop and move on than it is for us to make money. So I do see the owners saying it's important for this development, but I also that you know some of our best teams with their win-loss record are the ones that are not drawing as well. Yeah. So it leads me to believe the the theory that you're talking about is when you do the teddy tosses and you have dollar hot dog nights and dollar soda nights, those attract fans, those promotional nights. It is like minor league baseball in some respects uh, when it comes to that. But these kids are not professionals. They're, they're young kids who are impressionable. That well, are and that's why from a business model standpoint, I mean, it's like Northwoods League and baseball. It's outstanding. You, you, you're given that same St. Paul Saints flavor uh, with, without any cost of uh, any payroll on your roster. Correct. 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 But they are paying for, you know, as you know, they're paying for other things. Yes. They, they, these people, live, these uh, young athletes. Live with billets, young, right? Yeah, they're living with billets. Uh, and that's paid for by the teams. Their sticks, their skates, their equipment is all paid for by the team. Many of their meals are paid for by the team. So there are definitely um, expense costs. Plus, you have coaching staffs and strength and conditioning people and equipment managers and trainers. That Those are all part of uh, hockey and a part of sports, and they're all part of the USHL. But it is interesting that, you know, the best team in our league from a – Record-wise is the Chicago Steel, and yet they're in a market that's a huge sports market, but yeah. they don't play right in Chicago, but they don't draw as well as maybe some other teams. But at the same time, they're run very successfully. Uh, can you stay on with us through a quick break? 
Absolutely. Bill Robertson is our guest, President, Commissioner of the USHL, and I want to ask him the, the questions we're all asking right now, and that is about COVID. How do you protect the kids? What guidelines do you have? Uh, they're living with billet families. They're exposed to a number of different people. What can you do? How do you do it? How expensive is it? How prohibitive is it when we come back on Sports to the Max? Bill Robertson, our guest, President and CEO. Commissioner of the United States Hockey League, USHL, long and storied tradition. Bill, um, we had these conversations all last year, and it was on the college level for you, and now it's uh, the USHL, but it's it's so similar. Uh, when we say the word protocol, what does it mean? What what, what does it mean? How, how is the USHL handling uh, COVID and, and what we're seeing over the last couple of weeks? Well, thankfully, we're on we're on a break right now. Uh, our games ended last weekend, and we have not had any breakouts of, of, of the COVID and any of the variants with our teams or our officials. So we've been able to play every game to date. Um, we have sent out mandates. We have a task force inside of our league uh, that these discussions take place. And as players come back from the holiday break, we have games starting on the 27th, 28th, and through the end of the calendar year. Um, players will have to be retested coming back in. Um, but I have to say that uh, all of our teams are at the 85% or above threshold when it comes to being fully vaccinated and boosted. So we feel good about that. And each team has their own doctor that they work with, but we have a doctor that oversees a lot of our uh, initiatives when it comes to this thing. And, and so far it's, it's been good. Do I fear that there may be an, maybe something that will happen? Well, I'm a optimist, but I do know and realistically think that, you know, we're not foolproof. If the NHL or the NBA or the NFL aren't foolproof, then there's certainly no way that our kids um, can be foolproof as well. So we're monitoring it very closely and, and we're bracing for the fact that we may uh, have to postpone some games and reschedule at a later point. Could you, as a league, say uh, vaccination's mandatory? Do, do you have that legal right to do that? Say, you can play in the USHL, but here's the guidelines, here's what's expected, or is that is that a legality issue? It's a legality issue, but we strongly recommended it um, and as I said, the majority of the teams or all of our teams are at the 85% or above threshold where you didn't have to wear masks. Now coming back, we're asking them to wear a mask and social distance and eat, eat in separate areas. So people aren't clogged next to each other the whole time. But when you get on buses and you're in locker rooms, it, it's, it, it's not foolproof. And we know that. So we're going to be monitoring it very closely coming out of the holiday break. And, and they live with these billet families, as I mentioned. Is that, I mean, do you have to uh, work with them? Are they concerned, hey, they were on the road in a bus and now they come back to our place, et cetera, et cetera? Are, are we at a stage, have we matured to a point where we go, we get it, we're going to do the best we can, uh, and, and we're going to figure this thing out? Or, I mean, does, does panic strike in, or, or are they more like, hey, we, we we understand, we've been down this road, we under, we know what this is about? Yeah, the, the billets and the families are phenomenal in our league, and, you know, housing young young men for the course of six, seven months, they become very close to these people uh, in so many different ways, and yet um, they've been through this before, so the billets 
that are, that are in the system know know the. the well, do I got you still, Bill? You there? Do we lose him, Jonathan? Can anybody hear me right now? Hello, Jonathan. Can you get on board there if you can hear me? Yeah, it looks like we're trying to uh, get him back on. Okay, okay. Uh, Bill Robertson is our guest, and uh, he's the commissioner of the USHL. He worked for the uh, Timberwolves. He's worked for the Minnesota Wild. He's worked for the Anaheim Angels. Uh, he's worked for a number of different uh, places. And last year was commissioner of the WCHA the last several years, uh, and now uh, running the USHL. So he's he's seen a lot, and he understands a lot from a marketing standpoint as well. And... Um, he has lived this as a college commissioner, which you can only imagine last year, and the revenues that were lost and all that goes with it. Bill, are you there yet? Okay, we're still waiting on Bill. I hope his, his phone didn't go dead. And, and and when I say that we use that term billet, billet means that that's the family that hosts uh, a young man or young woman, depending on the league. Um, uh, we have them back. Uh, and, and, and they stay with them uh, during the course of it. Bill Robertson rejoins us now. We just had a minor staff food there. Bill, Bill the, the Winter Classic everybody's talking about, and everybody's worried that uh, what what if they don't play it? Um they're on a mandatory break right now. I think this is misunderstood by a lot of people in the, in the media. The collective bargaining agreement allows these guys, it's mandatory that they get Christmas off the day before and the day after. They extend it by a day. But that's why it's not that they're shutting down games. There's no games in the schedule coming up here uh, for the NHL. Uh, what does the Winter Classic, you worked in this league for a long time, what does the Winter Classic mean to the NHL? Well, it's a huge financial piece for the league but it's also a huge promotional piece for the league and nhl i know right now i have having conversations with people inside the league office uh are going to do everything they can to, to have the winter class and the fact that it's outside actually helps uh quite a bit from being inside so i i believe that that game will be played and you're correct that the the current collective bargaining agreement with the NHL is they have, it, it was different when I worked for the wild and the mighty ducks where you played on the 23rd and you had the 24th, 25th off. And then you played on the 26th. Uh, that is no longer because of the collective bargaining agreement. So they have more time off and they're going to have to make up these games on the other side. And now with the Olympics being pulled, pulled out uh, from NHL players, they're going to try to make up as many of those games during that three-week break. But for the Winter Classic, this is the crown jewel other than the Stanley Cup Finals for the league. They'll do everything they can to possibly play that game at, at Target Field. And I do think it's still going to be a success, and it's, it's going to happen. Even if they continue to cancel games that are inside, the fact that outdoors in this unique situation, environment, will, will still be played, in my opinion. What does Christmas Day mean to the NBA? Because you've worked in that league as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know they already have contingency plans in yep. the NBA. If teams cannot play or they can't produce enough players to participate, they're going to have alternate games. I, I really don't know how that's going to work. Now, those games are indoors. Yep. So the NBA is going to have to be a little more flexible in how they figure it figure that out they have five games that are televised nationally on i believe it's on abc and espn throughout throughout the day and evening and that day has always been held for them 
but you also have NFL games going. And there's yep. two NFL games. Uh, so the, the sports market gets really crowded now on Christmas Day. And I think the NBA could see some issues here coming forward because there's more and more NBA players that are having issues with the new variant under the COVID blanket. So it'll, it remains to be seen. And if they can't play those games, that's a lot of lost revenue, both on the television side and the team side. Yep, and, and Toronto, Chicago called off tonight. They're the most recent. But the one thing that the, they've done in the NFL, to an extent the NBA, but the NFL is, is not going to be denied their games, is they've backfilled the roster. So they've got so many players that it would be almost impossible to have a virus take you down and you couldn't uh, and you would not be able to to put a team on the field particularly with vaccinations and everything else right now uh the nba has done a little bit of that with the g league the, the nhl not so much but is that the way out of this thing at this point in time is you just got to make sure you have access to so many players and, and you i don't want to say this and diminish it but to an extent it's true you got to have somebody that has that jersey on the sweater uh and that seems to mean more than who that person is because you got to get a game out there to fulfill your contractual obligations absolutely they're going to go to the g league and the nba and 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 grab players even if they're not marquee players they're going to try to play those games as best they can. And they're, they're lucky that they have a league like that. When I was in the NBA in, in the late 80s and 90s with the Timberwolves, they didn't have that luxury. There was, they had the CBA, yeah. which is not the same as the G League. And those teams, uh, those players weren't, weren't involved with, with necessary NBA teams. Uh, but So now it's a whole different deal. So they can pull up players if they have to. And again, the other piece is the, the marquee matchups that they want. They always have the New York Knicks and they have the Los Angeles Lakers playing on Christmas Day. And they got to make sure those games are being played because that's where the eyeballs become so important to the NBA. And they have to get them on television. Um, but I believe that they'll have some uh, leeway if they have a couple other games scheduled on Christmas Day in case there is a potential problem they can and they can adjust the start times and put somebody else in those slots all right merry christmas my friend thank you so much for joining us during some complicated sports times but always good to visit with you and hear your voice well you too maxi and i look forward to talking to you soon and Happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Yeah, you too. Bill Robertson, nice enough to join us on News Talk 830 WCC. When we come back, how do you train? You know, A, over the Christmas break, if you've got some time off, if you're a young athlete, and B, how do you train through COVID? We'll ask a guy that trains people. Coming up next on Sports to the Max. Sports to the Max, News Talk 830 WCCO. Your passageway to the Great Northwest. Bill Welly is a trainer extraordinary. He's trained a lot of guys that prepared for the Combine, the NFL, and beyond. And um, in all sports, really, but, but but football comes to mind first and foremost. So it's worked a lot with Chris Carter and Larry Fitzgerald, and uh, the list is is long and lengthy and distinguished. And he joins us now. Bill, happy holidays. Happy holidays, Maxie. Now tell me about the, you know this Christmas break for, let's start with the high school student-athlete where, okay, we're, we're going to pick up uh, the sport that you're in after the break. Now, I know a lot of them practice, but some only practice, you know, once a day or for a short time, and, and they've got all this time on their hands. Let's just speak to the next two weeks. What, what can an athlete do to get the most out of these next two weeks? Well, it depends on, like you said, depends on the sport. 
um, and where they're at within their seasons. But uh, you know, there's plenty of facilities out there that have offerings um, to do training, as well as you know if they're with their school, they'll they'll usually have some sort of programming that they'll do or recommend it. I know that with Twin Cities Orthopedics, we have 12 schools that we have strength coaches in, and our strength coaches end up giving either workouts to take with them, um, virtual workouts, or um, they'll do it at school. A lot of times, because they have the, this this thing called time on their hands, and and a practice is good, but we, you know, a, a lot of these kids have enough energy that they can handle a, a workout outside the practice. What do you recommend to them? Uh, let, let's just say it's a basketball player. Do you recommend that they 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 lift some weights outside the practice? They, how, how do they get the most out of these two weeks? Do so they improve? So for in season athletes, I really recommend trying to get at least two days a week of some sort of of maintenance lift in and and a little bit of the conditioning side of like for basketball, for instance, you won't have to necessarily worry about the conditioning side, but you want to maintain that strength and that stabilization. So, you know, they should be doing some sort of strength training should be working on even, even working on some of the things that they're, they, they may need to work on additionally. What I mean by that is corrective exercises, you know, working on uh, for, for, basketball or volleyball working on shoulders um, as well as ankles and groin so just working kind of ancillary muscles just to to make sure that they stay on top of injury prevention all right bill so we've heard this you know it used to be the the story was you can't lift weights play basketball because you'll get too tight and you can't shoot and we've seen wayne gretzky say i never had a barbell score a goal for me i get all that stuff but are we not at a point we're weight training. It's just part of the deal. And at the end of the day, you need to buy into the fact that lifting weights will make you a better athlete and a higher end performer in whatever sport that you're in. Absolutely. I mean, there's, sir, that you have those back in our day in sport, right? Who were the kids that stood out? They were the fast kids, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the strong kids, but we're, we're, we're so much more developed along the line now that you, in order to just stay on top of things, you, you do have to maintain that strength. Kids are stronger, faster, quicker, more agile than they were years ago. And so just using raw ability and talent doesn't can get you certain points, but you, you have to stay on top of it. Bill Welley is our guest trainer extraordinaire, uh, to be sure. And uh, he's done a lot with a lot of people. I had this, uh, I was talking to a trainer the other day. I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, in some sports, quickness is paramount. In some sports, it's not. Can you teach quickness? It, it, how much of it's God given, and how much of it is both strength and understanding your body? Uh, I'm going to go with fifty-fifty. Um, there, there obviously is a genetic potential. I know we've talked about that before. That you can train, um, or if you've never trained at your genetic potential, how do you know how good you can be? You know, somebody like a Larry Fitzgerald who he worked at it and worked at it and worked on the things that he didn't wasn't very good at. Um, but you also have to be able to, like you said, you have to be able to move. And if you have to walk before you run, and a lot of athletes aren't taught how to move correctly um, and understand their body and, and how to how to load and plant and decelerate, um, create separation. So. Those are the kind of things that, that we work on. I did that actually tonight in a, in a session um, where literally broke it down into this is how you cut. And if, if you can cut at 50 percent, 
and create separation, now you're making you're, you're giving yourself an advantage. So there is something to be said about working on the specifics um, within each sport, but you have to you do have to work on the skills side of it, not just not just the basketball skills or the the hitting skills or the throwing skills, but also those little things that they're going to separate you in the long run. Well, yeah, let me give you a specific example. Let's say you got a kid, he's a good athlete, and he's got really good hands, and he's got really good hand-eye coordination, and he's a really good receiver and that he doesn't drop the ball. Can you teach him footwork so that he can get open and create separation? Yes, without question. That's, yeah, that's something that uh, I kind of pride myself on. It, you know, you can use the analogy, you can lift and lift and lift, but it's if you build the engine, you want to build the engine so that you have more power. But if you don't have proper alignment, then the, the wheels are going to fall off. Something's going to give. So you can make an athlete bigger and stronger, right? But if you don't work on the technique pieces or those little idiosyncrasies within the sport of how to change direction, you're going to generate a lot of force and not be able to, to break down, right? There's plenty of receivers in the NFL that are fast, but they can't get out of their cut they can't get out of their break and and, and, and that's teachable though knowing when to break yeah. can you break at 50 percent will you do it at this hash mark instead of the one one down because that's going to make all the difference in the world you can teach that yes absolutely for sure what about for a quarterback can you can you give him arm strength uh you can work on yes you can work on arm strength um they, the hard part like for something like a quarterback, you have such specific, like your release and how that, that ball is going to come out. Those are, those are really, hello? Yep. I'm here. Okay. So it kind of, to work on those little specifics yep. of how to get that ball out there and get the, get the spin proper. And those are finite skills, but can I build an arm and make it stronger and more structurally sound? Yes. Do you also find, though, that, again, getting back to our, our, our question about receivers, is that a good quarterback coach can take a quarterback and say, you know, let's not worry about arm strength right now. If you can read when that guy is going to make his break, uh, you can be accurate, and, and you really only need to use 20 yards of the field. Is that in play? Oh, for sure. For sure. There's there's plenty of quarterbacks that played at the NFL level that never threw a, a uh, spiral but just knew how to put the ball in a spot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's I, I think I've said this before where I, I encourage our quarterbacks and wide receivers they, they don't have to be best friends, but they need to be friends and they need to figure out each each one of their little nuances yep. how they cut. And once you establish that, they can say, Okay, I, I know that you're gonna break down, so I can let the ball go and I know that you're gonna come back to the ball. Um, and that's creating separation, right? And understanding that. Now, last question. Last year you had a combine or two. Uh, I don't know if that was just because of COVID or not, so that colleges could come and watch kids go through the drills. Are you doing that again this offseason? So we had we had the high school combine that we had college coaches ask, yes, and we're going to be doing that again uh, in late April, early May. Um, and then NFL combine prep is actually starting uh, January 3rd. So Here we go, huh? We're ramping up. Yeah, we're ramping up on that now. So. Oh, boy. You stay busy, Bill, but I appreciate your time very much, as always. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and happy holidays, and we will talk again soon. Thanks, Maxie. Take care. You bet. Bill Willie. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to visit with Tori Holt. And um, this is a tough story to tell. 
It is. It's a tough, tough story to tell, and I'm going to let him tell it. Um, it's a really tough story to tell this holiday season, but we're going to tell it because I think we need to when we come back on Sports to the Max. Welcome back. Happy holidays to you. Troy Holt is my guest, and uh, you see him do sideline reporting uh, locally here during uh, high school tournaments and uh, active in sports for a number of different years, coaching and, and active as a participant as well. Uh, but tonight we're not here to talk about um, a game that he's done or something that he's doing. It's someone that he coached with, and it is a tough, tough story to tell. Tori, thank you for joining us tonight. Having me on, Mike. I appreciate that. Uh, walk us through. Uh, this is a tough one, and this is as tough as it gets. Uh, it, it, the, the reason I have you on tonight is, and you fill in the blank here, as, as to what transpired yeah. over the last week. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate, uh, you know, your friendship and stuff and, and reaching out. And, and um, Scott Herda, who was an assistant varsity coach at Farmington High School, and he coached with us at the Midwest Speed here this this past year. And his daughter was in our program since she's been 14, and now she's over at, at Gustavus playing softball for the Gusties. And, and uh, um, he obviously um, uh, meant a to our program and he passed away this week um just two nights ago or two mornings ago uh with covid and um last week uh he he started feeling ill and 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 it it uh, hit him I, I was texting with him on friday and he was just saying hey this is brutal buddy and you know did you have, you know how was yours when you went through it and i said yeah I'm, you know I, it didn't it it was pretty bad for a couple of days and and uh he goes, yeah, I'm always, I'm, I'm on a ventilator, I'm on a, a feeding tube or a breathing tube right now, and and he goes, man, I just, I just want to get out of here, and and um, two days later, um, he uh, got transferred up to the U of M, and then on, um, what was it, uh, Monday morning, passed away. How old was he? Uh, Fifty years old. Mm. In, 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 I mean, at least the pictures that I saw, he looked like he was in, you know, pretty good shape, coaching yeah. shape. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he coached his entire life. Huge Minnesota sports fan. Uh, grew up. His dad was a coach, uh, a fast pitch coach. He got into the game of fast pitch. Uh, one of his big things in fast pitch was he was an umpire. Mm-hmm. And obviously, across the state of Minnesota, we're short on umpires and. He was always there to try to teach one of the kids how to be an ump, uh, how to talk to an ump. Uh, he always worked with coaches on on, uh, on how to help them uh, communicate with umpires. And, and then he got into coaching as well, and he started coaching with us this past year. His daughter had just gone through our program and, and went on to college, and, and so he got in at coaching his 16U team. And uh, the girls just loved him. He was a positive coach, always, uh, and a funny guy, too. Um, I got a funny story about him umpiring this year in South Dakota. It was really cold, really cold. And he's kind of a funny guy. You know, he, everybody's got sweatshirts or jackets on. Scott's out there in a short sleeve shirt. And I said, I said, Scott, you doing all right? And he goes, oh, I'm freezing. He goes, could you give me a coffee? So I'm waiting for the next game to start. So I said, sure. I run out, I get a coffee, and I come back, and I, I, I bring him back a coffee and a sweatshirt, and he's not there. And so the next day I run into him, and I go, Scott, I brought you a coffee and a sweatshirt. And he goes, oh, I didn't really think you were going to do that, so I took off. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he's just kind of a funny guy, you know. 
And, and, and you know, uh, the obvious question that, that people are listening to this one, was he vaccinated? Um, I, I, I don't know that for sure. Um, you know, I, I know I know his mom had a little bit of a scare with, with COVID right before that. And then um, she made it through. And, and so um, I, I'm not sure on that. And so I just, you know. What I can't was answer your, that one. What was your experience like when you got COVID? When did you get it, and what was it like? Um, I got it. I got it in, uh, in September, um, and I I got pretty sick for a day or two, and then kind of turned a corner right after that. And then, you know, I was back to playing baseball in I think eighteen days. Did you know right away it was COVID or what was the process? I, like? No, I didn't. I didn't. I actually, I went into the hospital. I got checked out. Um, I didn't, I was, it was, it was, it hit me pretty hard. I, I'll be honest with you uh, for a day. And when they, they, they tested me there and then said, oh, you got COVID. So then they put me in a, in a bed and they wheeled me down and I'm like, oh, where am I going so now? So you went right to and the bed they, after you had COVID or you, you couldn't go home and isolate or what happened? Well, they were they were worried about me because I I I, I um, fell down the day before, but I that was because I probably hadn't eaten all day, and so I go in there, and then they ran a bunch of tests, and the doctors the doctors asked um, the doctors said everything looks good, your heart looks good, your lungs look good, um, you'll probably be good in about ten days, so just check back in with us. And, and then how long did it take before you felt good? I felt like I was out of it after two days, like the flu part of it, like being sick. Like the worst of it was gone kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. And and my my fever was gone after like two days. And then out to 10 days, I was in like a fog. And then at about 14 days, I started working out again. And then at, I think it was like on the 18th or 20th day, I was able to play baseball. So, so you were back to feeling good enough that it wasn't uh, consideration, so to speak. Correct. Correct. And that's why Scott was asking me those questions. And that's the scary part about all this, right? Like one day last week, I think it was nine or 10 days ago. No, 12 days ago, I was working a clinic with Scott and he came and filled in and uh, we were just having a great time. And actually uh, just like, I'm sitting there talking to the guy and all of a sudden he gets COVID like a few days later and then he's gone. Oh, and just, it's, that's it's unbelievable. Just like, it, it is. And I, I'm, this guy is a guy that has been involved with fast pitch softball his entire life. Um, he's showed up every Wednesday night to our, our team training in Rosemount. He volunteer or, uh, was assistant coach at Farmington. Uh, he, he coached his daughters growing up. Um, the kids love him. Um, I just, you know, just a great guy, you know, a funny guy too. Another, another funny story. We were coaching this, this past fall and Scott's got this new drill and, and the girls are whipping the ball around and, and, and it it's a fun drill. It gets them moving. It's active. And I go, Scott, this is a great drill. I go, um, have you been using this one with your team? How did you come up with it? And he goes, oh, the girls just showed me it tonight. <laughs> they showed it to me, and now I'm using it, huh? Yeah, yeah. I was going to try to grab it from him. Oh, he's a great guy, you know. Oh, and it's man. it's rough. How, how big a family does he have? 
he's got three kids. Oh, he's got three kids. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, his, his daughter, you know, him and his daughter play ball, you know, they were like best buddies. And, um, she, she, I coached Kayla who's at Gustavus uh, in a couple of tournaments. Um, we went down to South Carolina together a couple of years ago. I coached their 16 U team with Sean Hall, our director. Um, and Scott was there and, and supporting her and brought her down. And, and it's, so it's a, it's, it's tough. I know it's tough on her. Um, and I didn't know his other kids, but I knew Kayla real well. And she's a great kid, 4.0 student, you know, you gotta be smart to get into Gustavus. Um, so, you know, she's obviously going to have a tough time with this, of course. Um, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a crazy thing. It's a crazy Mm -hmm. thing how, how, it it didn't affect. Is me, that but, the first you know, person that so you quick. you know that it was taken by COVID? Um. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess I know a few people, but it yeah. was late in life, yeah. and they had other conditions. I, I, yeah, haven't, right. I haven't known anybody in their prime. Yeah, that's that's the thing about it, and I the the only. The only thing I got, and I don't know anything about health history or anything like that, but the only thing I know is that I know that his mom had gotten it pretty, pretty bad prior, and and so that's that's all the experience I have yeah. on that. Other yeah. than that, I don't I don't know because a lot of people in our program, our softball program, have gotten COVID. I would say that most of our coaches have gotten it, but most, you know, it just passes through, you know, yeah. and it's a couple of weeks, and then. And then oh. you move on, and and the kids, you know, the kids have gotten it, or, and they they sit out their time or whatever, and they come back, and they don't seem to have any Issues. repercussions yeah. of it, and yeah. yeah. Well, Tori, it's so, a sad story, but I'm glad that you could share it with us tonight, and please uh, send our best and our thoughts and prayers to the entire family. No, well, we appreciate that, and I, I appreciate you being able or having us on or having me on to at least um, touch on his his greatness because it's so important to be able to give back to your community. And this guy did that and, you know, he's gone now, but he leaves the legacy behind him and, and all those kids that affected, he touched their lives in a positive manner. Well put Tori, Merry Christmas to you. And I look forward to seeing you soon sometime for real and in person. For sure, Mike. I appreciate it. Tori Holt, nice to join us. You too. Uh, and give us some perspective. I'm 50 years old and, Man, you contract it and then you're gone. It just, it, and, and you got to be pretty active if you're coaching up to that point. So uh, we'll be back again tomorrow night before the Timberwolves and the Utah Jazz. And uh, if there's a verdict in the uh, trial tomorrow with uh, uh, Kim Potter, obviously WCCO will be all over it. And I'm going to be joined by Carson Bach tomorrow night, attorney that's been through these things before. And, and, and whether there's a verdict rendered or not, uh, he'll tell us why, what happened, and, and how he read the tea leaves on it, what, if they're still in deliberations, or what that means, and hung dry, uh, juries and mistrials and all those things. And if there is a verdict, uh, we'll get his reaction as well. Thank you for listening to Sports to the Max. We appreciate it more than you will ever know. For Jonathan Lowe, Mike Max signing off, but not for long. Henry Lake, yes, Lake at Night is coming up next. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 